Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Have you found Acts chapter 13? Amen. Let's begin reading and get together in verse number 27. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings. That promise which was made to the fathers God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. I want you to pay particular attention to verse number 30. But God raised him from the dead. And then he declared in verse 32 that this is the glad tiding. This is the glad tiding that God raised Jesus from the dead. Praise the Lord. I want you to to turn your attention today, uh, not first of all to the resurrection. I want to turn your attention to Friday. Now, when I say that, let let me make something clear. I'm fully aware that there's no way Jesus was crucified on Friday, put into the tomb Friday afternoon, and was raised from the dead Sunday morning, and that equal three days and three nights. Okay, I know that. Everybody knows that. But every few years, I know among ministers, I don't know about in the, in the regular uh, culture, but among ministers, every few years, preachers get all stirred up about this. Jesus wasn't crucified on Friday. He couldn't have been crucified on Friday. It had to have been Thursday or Wednesday. Or Well, if you can, if you can just add, you know that's true. There's no way three days and three nights transpired between Friday afternoon and Sunday morning. But the church has identified and and just isolated or or, or chosen Friday as the day that we commemorate the time that Jesus was crucified. So please don't send me postcards telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about today when I talk about Friday. Um, We're talking about the fact that Jesus was crucified. Amen. And I want to draw your attention back to that event and the things that, that surrounded that before we get to the resurrection. I want you to notice that Jesus had predicted this, his, his uh, crucifixion, his death, his, his resurrection. He had predicted that. He had told his disciples this was going to happen. He told them not once or twice, but on several occasions, he told his disciples. He even told them just in the very few days preceding his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane that this was going to happen. You might remember that Peter took him aside and said, not so, Lord. This will not come to pass. And Jesus said, you need to get behind me because you savor not the things of of God, but the things of men. 
And, and Peter went on to say, and, and Jesus also predicted that they would uh, forsake him. And Peter said, though everybody else forsakes you, I will not forsake you. I'll even die for you. Did Peter say that? And, and the Bible says that the others likewise said the same. So it wasn't just Peter. But I don't, and I, and I know we've, looked at the, at the idea before, we've discussed the fact that, that the disciples, when Jesus was crucified, when he was arrested, crucified and died, that, that they were crushed. That goes without saying, sort of. But I don't think we really have a concept, maybe, of what this did to the disciples and just how defeated and crushed they were. You know, Jesus had been everything to the disciples. Now, they had only followed him three and a half years, but it had been the most epic three and a half years of any time in history. I mean, what a ride for three and a half years. They had lived and walked and talked and, and eaten and, and just, you know, were just in the company of the master who had the answer to every question who had power over every circumstance, who had victory over every opponent, who was never defeated, who was never discouraged, who always was giving of himself, full of love, full of compassion. In addition to everything else that happened, you know the disciples were especially crushed in their own behavior, the way they had forsaken him, you know, Peter and John sort of, uh, they all, the Bible says that they all left in Gethsemane. If you can imagine that scene, what an eerie scene it must have been. It was nighttime. You know, they had, they had eaten the Passover meal and then they had gone to prayer and Jesus had been through that terrible agony in the, in the garden and it was nighttime and it was late. And all of a sudden, there's this rumbling, this noise, this, this, this uh, sound of people and footsteps and, and shuffling and shouting and, and, and uh, so forth. And it says that, there, that, the, that those who came to take Jesus came with lanterns and torches and, and swords and spears and other weapons. And, they came, and there was a mob. And you could see, you know, from the darkness of the interior of, that, of, of Gethsemane, you could see from the edges you know, this light coming, these different lights coming through the trees and the, the lights bouncing off, you know, the other things around. What an eerie scene it must have been of this angry mob. And the disciples, I mean, they, they stood for just a moment. And, and once Jesus surrendered to the uh, Jewish officials and submitted himself to them, the, the, 12, I mean, the, the, the 11 disciples took off. I mean, they abandoned him. Now, Peter and John came around from the flank, you know, and, and sort of followed to see what was going to happen, but at a distance. They were by no means a support to Jesus. And when they get into the, the uh, courtyard where Jesus was being questioned and interrogated, you know, John went in, he knew somebody there and, and uh, so he got Peter brought in and, and so Peter, Peter's warming himself by the fire, you know, and, and Jesus had said before the rooster crows, uh, you know, uh, three times, you, twice, three times you'll deny me. And, uh, and you know what happened? You know, Peter repeatedly and repeatedly denied him and finally on that last time he denied and, 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 the, and, the, and the rooster crowed. 
The Bible says that Jesus turned and looked at him. The Bible says Peter went out and wept bitterly. In addition to any other thing that happened, they had to have been completely crushed in light of their own sorry, cowardice behavior. That here Jesus had poured his life, not only into them, but into everyone he ever met. A man who lived uh, uh, and, and demonstrated a love and a compassion for people. And they, under a little bit of pressure, they gave up and left him. They had, like I said, they had submitted everything to Jesus. They had given, Jesus, remember when the, we, we preached, I preached on this a few weeks ago about the rich young ruler that came to Jesus, you know, and, and uh, he said, and the, the ruler left because he had great riches and he didn't want to, to give. And, and Jesus turned around to his disciples and said, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were astonished. They said, well, how can this be? Uh, and Jesus said, it's, it's impossible for those who are bound by riches. For those who, excuse me, who love riches. And then he said something interesting. He said, but I say to you, no one who has left houses, lands, mothers, fathers, children, in other words, family, possessions, no one who's left anything for my sake and the gospel's sake he said, but he will receive it a hundred times more in this life. Didn't Jesus say that? Peter, Peter piped up and said, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. They gave up careers. They gave up possessions. They gave up family. Now you have to understand that when the disciples traveled with Jesus, Everybody knew it. I mean, if you have a friend right here this morning and that friend just up and ran off with some kind of, you know, charismatic religious leader somewhere and went following him all over the country, would you know it? Yeah, everybody would be talking about it. Well, here were these 12 disciples and they had left everything and everybody to identify with Jesus. Their entire, I mean, their, all of their eggs were in that basket. They had nothing left of themselves. They gave up their reputations because everybody knew that they were with him. Jesus sent them out on more than one occasion in his name. And they went out in his name, healing the sick casting out devils and so forth. When, when Jesus and the three disciples were on the Mount of Transfiguration and the man whose son was demon-possessed came looking for the master, he couldn't find Jesus, so he took him to this, his disciples. So the disciples were 100% identified. They didn't even have identities anymore because they were, how could you have an identity and be in the company of Jesus? I mean, he shined and shone and, 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 and was brighter than anything. He, he eclipsed everything around him. And they were drawn up into that. And then Jesus, who had never been dominated, who had never been conquered, no one could catch him in his words. No one could lay hands on him to take him. He would just disappear and just walk out of their midst. 
And suddenly he submits his hands to his, to his captors and they bind him up and lead him off. Some of the disciples, even though they had been told. The Bible says that when Jesus told them about his resurrection, they didn't understand it. It said their minds were closed, their hearts were closed. They didn't understand it. And it was the most stunning thing that, have, that could have happened. Like I said, they'd put their entire trust in him as Savior, as Messiah, the hope of Israel. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So they believed in him. They believed he was God. They believed he was the provider that he was the coming king of Israel. They knew that he was the one who was to restore the kingdom to Israel. They believed that. They saw him as deliverer, as helper, as provider, again, as everything. But you know, when they denied the Lord Jesus, the Bible says that when Jesus was on the cross, that darkness descended, you know, at the noontime hour descended over that whole region. There was, no one was expecting an eclipse that day. This wasn't something that anyone had predicted. And suddenly at noon, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, darkness descends over the entire scene and a great earthquake shakes the ground with so much force that the rocks and the mountains were split in two. Graves opened up. That's a a perfect picture of what was going on in the hearts of the disciples. Darkness had descended upon them beyond, I think, anything we can imagine. That That their hope was gone. I mean, their hopes were destroyed. They were dashed to pieces. And you know that's true because they went away into hiding. And it says they were in hiding and they were mourning and weeping. Their hope was gone because he who had been the master of every situation was now in chains and was about to be put to death. It was a terrible, terrible thing. Like I said, their reputations were ruined because everybody saw Jesus when he was paraded through the streets with that cross on his back. All Jerusalem saw him. They all knew that this is the one who boasted so many great things and we've even seen great things, but look at him now. Everybody in Jerusalem saw it. Everybody in Jerusalem saw him being crucified. And you'd think they didn't think of the 12 disciples. They were probably looking around like, well, I wonder where the rest of this gang is. No wonder the disciples were hiding like I said, their, their reputation was ruined. Their future was gone. They were, they were completely associated. Uh, you know, they couldn't entangle themselves from Jesus of Nazareth. But it wasn't just the 11 disciples whose hopes were gone. All of his followers, you know, he had quite a few followers besides the 12. On the road to Emmaus, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, there were two disciples beyond the, you know, not, not of, the, of the number of the 12, but two other disciples. 
And they were walking on the road to, to Emmaus. And the Bible says that Jesus came alongside of them after he'd been raised from the dead, but they didn't know who he was. He appeared to them in another form. And, and he just walked alongside of them, you know, and kind of joined them in their travels. And, and, and he said, what is it that you're talking about? All sad, sorrowful. What, 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 are, you, what are you? Well, they said, well, you know, have you not heard what's happened? These two disciples said, we believed, past tense, we believed that he was going to be the one, that he was the one. We, we had believed he was the one who was the hope of Israel. But he's been crucified. He's been put to death. The, the, the women who came to the tomb the morning that Jesus was resurrected, when they, when they got there, I don't know if he was resurrected late Saturday night. I don't know. The point is they found him on Sunday morning, found the tomb open. And, and you know, Jesus was there and, and one of the, I think it was Mary Magdalene, you know, he, he appeared to her and, and uh, he, he, she thought he was one of the gardeners and, uh, or someone. He says, you know, if you know where they've taken him, she's weeping. If you know where they've taken him or if you've taken him someplace, just please let us know. We'll, we'll come and get his body. Their hopes were destroyed. They had such vision of the future. But you know, when, when your champion has been put to death, you say, well, you know, we know, but they didn't know what we know. Amen. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, understand how I say it. Speaking of Jesus as if he was a natural man, which he wasn't. I'm talking about people's hopes being destroyed. The, the, the 11 apostles, Judas, you know, took care of himself, but the 11 apostles, their hopes were destroyed. His other followers' hopes were destroyed. But, you know, just as a, in looking in the natural, Jesus' hopes were destroyed. Now, we know he, they weren't because he was the son of God. He knew better. But I'm just saying from, from the natural standpoint, you know, it, it's one thing, to boast that and to believe that you are the Christ and that you're going to be crucified and be raised from the dead. But we know when we study the life of Christ that in the beginning, the devil came to him and challenged him on who he was. Challenged him on who he was, what his mission was. And the Bible says he was tempted by that. Well, if he was tempted by that, don't you think he was tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane? Why do you think he struggled like he did? Don't you know the enemy was telling him, boy, you are a fool. Who do you think you are? Going to rise from the dead. You're going to go into the abyss and no one's ever going to hear from you again. You, you have a messianic complex. <laughs> From the natural standpoint, you know, being dead is pretty much the end of hope. And he was dead. He, listen, Jesus was just as dead as anybody else has ever been dead. The soldiers who came up to him, you know, the, the, the uh, Pilate, you know, sent the soldiers to see 
if he was dead yet because it was getting late, you know, and the, and the Sabbath was approaching and they didn't want his body to be on the cross, you know, and so the Jews sent, you know, to, uh, to see about it. So, so Pilate sent two of his uh, officers and the two, the two thieves were not dead yet. And so they broke the, the legs of the two thieves to speed up their death. But when they got to Jesus, the scriptures had already predicted that none of his bones would be broken. Once they got to Jesus, he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. But instead, the soldiers, just to be sure, they took a spear. Now, the, the blade of this spear had to have been as wide as a man's hand. Because when Jesus was raised from the dead, he said, here, put your hand into my side. So this was no little pinprick. This was a very wide blade spear and it says that the soldiers took this spear and rammed it up into his side. It was designed, if he wasn't dead, it was designed to make sure he was dead because it pierced his heart. But you see what? People don't realize no soldier could put Jesus to death. That's not what killed him. That spear didn't kill him. Even the nails in his hands and his feet, that's not what killed him. In fact, go with me, this will be a little, little Bible nugget for you. Go with me to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. The 22nd Psalm is a prophetic picture that God gave David, King David. And this entire psalm is about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It paints a graphic picture of him. It starts out with the famous words that Jesus spoke on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Those were the words that Jesus spoke on the cross. So this psalm has all to do about what happened to Jesus on the cross. We won't go into all of it, but I want you just to look at verse number 14. He said, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. When the soldiers hit Jesus' heart with that spear, the Bible says that immediately blood and water flowed out. Give me my little helper here, the para, pericardium, the pericardial sac that surrounds the heart has a certain amount of fluid in it. And when that soldier pierced that, that pericardial sac, come on, help me out here, right? Pericardial sac, and then his heart, water should have flowed out, and then blood following that from the heart. But instead, it says immediately blood flowed out and then water. See, Jesus died of a ruptured heart. Psalm says, my heart is melted within me. Jesus poured out his life. He died of a ruptured heart. His heart, because of the agony and the, and the, and the suffering that he endured, beginning with the crown of thorns, uh, on through the, uh, the scourging and the carrying of the cross and the, and the horrors of crucifixion and the turmoil and grief that he suffered spiritually, his heart literally tore apart. And the blood settled in that, in that sack. And when the soldier hit his heart, first blood came out and then water. He was dead. In fact, when the Gospel of John that records that particular detail, 
John goes on to say, I, John, have testified that this is the truth so that all men will know and believe that this happened. Why did he say that? Because by the inspiration of the Spirit, God knew that there would come about a doctrine called the swoon theory, that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just uh, went into a coma and, and, you know, and, and was almost dead, and then he revived again. That was, a, that was a, a teaching that came out shortly thereafter, that Jesus really didn't die on the cross. John said, I saw what I saw. Jesus died on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea had taken his body down. You know, the ground all around the cross had to have been soaked in blood. Joseph saw that. Joseph had to go up and untie and, and, and remove his hands and his feet and those nails. He had to, he, at, at quite a bit of effort, Joseph of Arimathea knew this body was dead. It was lifeless. It was dead. Joseph took him, wrapped him in fine linen, laid him in his own tomb, sealed it with a large stone. He was dead. You know, death is pretty final. I don't care what you're planning on doing. Uh, when you die, if you haven't done it, you're not going to get around to it. Isn't that right? It's over. I'm talking about from a natural standpoint. We're talking about the reasons for hope. How could anybody have hope when they see their master crucified? How can a man have, have hope after he's dead? Not only did Jesus die on the cross, he went to hell during those three days and three nights. Now, I was raised in a strong Christian home I heard the, some of the best preaching all of my life as a kid. And I never once heard anybody say that Jesus went to hell during the three days and three nights. I never heard it. No one ever preached it. But you know, it's right there in the second chapter of Acts. The very first sermon that was preached in the Christian era. Turn over there with me. Acts chapter 2. The very first sermon that was ever preached in the Christian era was preached by the, by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. Verse number 23. We'll start in verse 24. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall, will also rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the, the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of, his, of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in hell, nor did his, did his flesh see, see corruption. 
That's something most Christians really have never explored before. That when Jesus went to the cross and died, his soul went to hell. Jesus went to hell. He went, why did he, why did he have to go to hell? He had to go to hell because that's where we were going. In the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, that great prophetic verse or chapter on, on, on the Savior, the suffering of the Savior, says that it says concerning him that the chastisement or the punishment necessary for peace and well-being for us was upon him. You see, God had laid the sin of the entire world. Every man, woman, and child in this building, God laid all of our sins upon Jesus. Well, the penalty of sin is not just physical death. The penalty of sin is spiritual death, separation from God, being cast out from God's presence. Hell is the destiny is the, is the destiny of every person outside of Christ. And the reason we don't have that destiny and the reason we're not destined to go to hell is because he went there in our place. So for three days and three nights, Jesus was in hell. Well, that's about as hopeless as it comes. You don't, you don't come back from hell. A preacher friend of mine told me one time he was somewhere out in public and there was this big old burly guy that was, uh, you know, kind of talking real loud and real boastful and some, somebody said something about hell. He said, I'm not afraid of hell. I've been to hell and back again. They couldn't hold me. This friend of mine walked up to him and says, let me tell you something, son. You ain't never been to hell because if you ever go, you're not coming back. Nobody comes back from hell. That ought to give us pause. There are people all around us. Every day we encounter people. And unless they give their hearts and lives to Jesus, they're going to spend eternity in hell. And once you go to that awful place, you don't come back. You don't, that's final. That's final. There's no getting out. Jesus was in hell. That's as far away from God and as far away from hope as a person could be. The devil really thought he had Jesus. If you want to kind of, in a weird say, in a weird, in a weird way say it, the devil had no hope in Jesus' resurrection. He had no hope. And he was glad. The Bible says if the, if the rulers of this age, the spiritual rulers of this age, if they had only known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan and all of the host of darkness, all of the demons that inhabit hell and this planet were rejoicing. They thought, finally, God's man has been subdued. He's down for the count. He's not coming back. There was no hope. In the natural, there was no hope for anybody. But there's one thing that none of these people considered. It's one thing they didn't consider. And, you know, now you young people probably never heard of Paul Harvey. Anybody ever heard of Paul Harvey? A few of you have. I know a lot of older people have. Paul Harvey was a a radio uh, uh, celebrity, a radio uh, commentator a number of years ago. 
and he used to tell stories and he was real engaging, you know, and, his, and he would always say, and now the rest of the story. The disciples had forgotten the rest of the story. The devil had forgotten the rest of the story. So they had forgotten that even when it looks like there's no hope, Sunday's coming. (laughs) Sunday's coming. Amen? I mean, glory to God. I don't care how bad it looks. See, faith does not look at the things that are seen Faith looks at the things that are not seen. When you're in faith, you know what God's going to do. I don't care how dark it looks. I don't care how hopeless the situation. I don't care what your doctor says or what your attorney says or what your banker says or what your family counselor says or, or, or any, I don't care what it, how dark and could it be any darker than dead Could it be any more hopeless than the disciples who had given up everything just to see their whole future, everything they believed, everything they trusted in, everything they relied on, everything everybody knew about them? It was all a sham. It was gone. It was over. But Sunday was coming. I said, ah, yeah, there was coming a morning, glory to God, when just as quick as you can bat your eye, everything changed, glory to God. Like I said, when you're in faith, you know what God's going to do. Now, the disciples, you think about the disciples. They were completely in unbelief. I mean, if, if they had any idea of what was really going to happen, they wouldn't have been in hiding. They wouldn't have been hiding out, crying, wringing their hands. You know what they would have done? If they had believed, they would have been out in the streets telling people, oh, Jerusalem, gather around, gather around. You think you saw something on Friday? You wait till Sunday. You ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, they'd been telling everybody. They'd been knocking on doors. You just better be up early Sunday morning because something's gonna happen that's gonna absolutely rattle your cage. I mean, they'd have been telling everybody. People would have thought they're nuts. You know, people would have looked at him, so are you crazy? Didn't you see the man? Didn't you? We, we were there. He passed right by us with the cross on his back. We saw him crucified. What's wrong with you? But when you're in faith, you say, yeah, but I know something you don't know. I know the end of the story. I know the rest of the story, glory to God. Faith always shouts, I know the rest of the story. Faith always shouts, I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care how, how hopeless, how impossible the situation, faith always says Sunday's coming because God raised him from the dead. Glory to God. Because he raised him from the dead, then it doesn't matter what's going on. Glory to God. It's still God. when you're in faith you really don't care what people think about you I don't even care what she thought about that 
When you're in faith, people can, people can think you're an idiot. It doesn't bother you. Because you know something about Sunday. You know the rest of the story. The doctor can look at you and say, I don't understand why you keep telling me that you're going to rise from this. You ever told a doctor, you ever told a doctor that? Yeah. A few times. Oh, but doctor, I appreciate your, your diagnosis. I appreciate everything you've done for me. I appreciate your, all your skill, your knowledge, your, your, your treatment, all that. I appreciate you so much, but you just don't know something I know. Praise God. Glory to God. I'm not going to have this condition. I'm not going to have this problem in my life. I'm not going to give up my marriage. I'm not going to give up my children. I'm not going to give up my income. I'm not going to suffer loss. Glory to God. I will overcome because God raised him from the dead. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.